go before our God in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. At the beginning of this worship service, you guys were kind enough to humor me just for a moment and help me prove that dads are important, that dads matter, right? When I asked how many of you are related to a dad, we all stood up. We all have some kind of relationship to a father as friends, as a father, as a wife, or or we are a father and we have a father. But can we qualify or maybe quantify that just a little bit? Just how important are dads? Just how much do dads matter? Well, take a look at these stats with me. This is... This is pretty interesting. 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 90% of adolescent repeat arsonists are from fatherless homes. 85% of children who exhibit behavioral disorders are from fatherless homes. 85% of youths in prison are from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists who are motivated with displaced anger are from fatherless homes. 75% of adolescents in chemical abuse centers are from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teenagers are from a fatherless home. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. Children who live in a fatherless home are at a 48% greater. That's four times the rate of children's from fatherless homes of, of growing up and being at risk of poverty. The, the infant mortality rate across all races is four times greater in fatherless homes. And children who grow up in fatherless homes are 270 times more likely than children who grow up in fatherless homes to carry a gun or to deal drugs. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about you, but just... Just those stats alone prove that that dads are pretty important. Dads have a a fairly significant influence on society. Am I right? But what about spiritually? We know that it's important, right? We, We heard it in Ephesians. Paul says, fathers, you're to bring children up in the Lord. But what's their impact? Take a look at this. The the research group Barna did a study on families and what happens when mom goes to church, dad goes to church, they both go to church, and what that means for the child going to church. What they found is quite interesting. They found that when dads never go to church, but moms regularly go to church, 2%, 2% of those kids will go up to regularly go to church. To church, but if the dads infrequently go and the moms regularly grow, that increases it one percent. Three percent will grow up and be regular attending churchgoers. When they both go, about one in three children will grow up to be regular attending churchgoers. Thirty-three percent. But here's where it gets super interesting, because when the fathers regularly attend. But the mothers infrequently intend, it goes up to 38%. And when the fathers regularly attend, but mothers never attend, even then it goes up 44% of the time. Those children are going to grow up to be regular 
church attenders. These statistics, along with the other ones that we had looked at earlier, they're overwhelming. The evidence points to the fact that dads matter. Dads matter quite a bit. That fathers make a difference in in what's going to happen spiritually to the child. You look at those statistics, there's perhaps no more statistics that could be more politically incorrect. And they're shocking, they're surprising, but really, should, should we be surprised by them? I mean, it's something that God has been telling his people for thousands and thousands of years. That it is dad's God-given divine duty to train up children and the way that they should go to instruct them in the ways of the Lord. We read it in Ephesians after God gets through painting his, his picture perfect portrait of an ideal marriage. What, what a husband and a wife are to do. He singles in on the father relationship, the child father relationship. He says this, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may will go well with you and you enjoy a long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instructions of the Lord. Scripture's clear. Children are a blessing from our God. And just like any other blessing that our God gives us, They have responsibility. We have responsibility towards those blessings. We have accountability towards those blessings. And the Holy Spirit, through Scripture, says, Dads, it is your job to train them in the instruction of the Lord. He doesn't say mothers, although, let me say, mothers matter so much. They are, in fact, in an integral part of bringing them up in the Lord. Mothers are, are so much important. They are the primary caretakers and they are, do so much for the intimacy and the well-being of the child. Now, fathers, no one can replace that role. But in the same way, mothers can't replace the role of fathers. The school can't pl- replace the role of fathers. The Sunday school can't replace the role of fathers. The pastor, the church, nothing can replace the role of fathers. It's the fathers and fathers alone that our God says, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Your dads matter. Dads matter in society. Dads matter spiritually. And yet, why is it that the Christian church has daddy issues? Why is it that in the Christian church, women are 57% more likely to participate in an adult education class? Why is it that in the church, Christian church, women are 56% more likely to hold a position of leadership other than the pastoral position? Why is it that 54%, they're 54% more likely to participate in a small group. Women are 46% more likely to disciple others. 39% more likely to have personal devotion time. 33% more likely to volunteer. 29% more likely to read the Bible. 29% more likely to share their faith. more likely to donate to church and 16 more percent likely than men to spend time in prayer. 
you know, I said it at the intro, but it's worth repeating, that has a Christian faith is the only world religion that has a significant gender disparity gap between men and women. There are way more women than there are men. Why? You know, I look at this group of people right here, and I know you to be a group that is passionate about building the kingdom of God, helping further his mission, his great commission on this earth. And I think if we spent time discussing that question, why? Why is there that gap? Well, I think we would we would identify some pretty key areas. We'd identify the fact that in the past several decades there has been some powerfully positive movements that have that have brought about gender equality in our country, but it's not without side effects. We could talk about the why and we'd identify the fact that modern media, well, it dumbs dads down. I mean, think about this. It classifies men as either lazy, incompetent, or stupid. And you think about just those three adjectives, you can picture a commercial or a sitcom, but that's the dad. We could talk about the effect that that has on, on the people, the families that watch those shows. Well, we could talk about how the Christian church perhaps has this stereotype and there's a grain of truth to every stereotype that, well, it makes it seem like it's for softies. And that's why men don't go to church. But I think we could talk about all those reasons, but I think you and I both know that the reason why there is a, well, a daddy issue in the Christian church started by a carpenter and 12 of his male comrades is much simpler than that. It's because the devil knows dads. And specifically, the devil knows that dads are dangerous. The devil knows that dads are dangerous because the devil knows what God's word says. The devil knows that God has asked fathers to be the spiritual heads of their family. The devil knows he has given the divine directive to dads alone to bring up children in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so he knows that if dads do that, if dads come to church with their families, if dads leave church and talk about the word of God they heard at church with their families, he knows that if dads sit down with the word of God by themselves in prayer and then take that word and let that move in them and through them and come out to their families during the week, the devil knows that his kingdom of corruption will stop us from how God depicts dads, how God depicts fathers and men because he knows he wins when he does that. This morning, we're going to do something about that. But what are we going to do? Well, what we're not going to do is lay out a 10-step process for for men to step into a more Christ-like masculinity. No. Scripture doesn't have those things. He doesn't have it for the family. He doesn't have it for moms or dads or people or pastors. Scripture doesn't do that. But what Scripture does do is it gives pictures of people. Imperfect people, but it gives pictures of people that are God-fearing, believing people. And he says, be like them. Imitate them. 
Learn from them and their faith. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look at a picture of a man by the name of Joshua. Joshua was the leader of God's children. He was fatherly to the children of Israel, God's chosen people. Joshua was the leader of Israel who took over after Moses passed away. And it was God's directive to Joshua to lead these people into the promised land, to clear out the unbelieving nations who were there. That's what Joshua did. Joshua's name means the Lord saves. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. In Greek, Joshua is translated as Jesus. This man shares the same name as our Savior. And what we're going to look at is a pivotal point in Joshua's life. We're going to look at Joshua giving his farewell sermon, his going away speech to all of Israel. What he's going to be telling them as as he does this is that as we transition from wandering in the wilderness to living stabler lives here in a land flowing with milk and honey, don't forget your God. Don't forget his grace. Don't forget his goodness. Don't forget his glory. What Joshua is going to be doing is, is leaving a legacy. But a legacy that doesn't point his people, his children, so to speak, to himself, but points them to their God. And what we see in this speech is exactly what scripture commands fathers to do. And that is bring children up in the instruction of the Lord. So yeah, this sermon today is going to be about dads. But can y'all listen to me for a second? Everybody? Do I have everybody's attention? This sermon isn't just for dads. Because what we're going to do as we look at Joshua's going away, the principles that we take out of this, I am to fathers. But, but the things, the points, the principles that we take out of this, they can be applied to grandmothers and mothers and aunties and wives and single people and friends of fathers as well. So why are we directing these just to dads today? Well, three reasons. One, we believe what God's word says. And we believe God's word when it says this is the command given especially to fathers. So we're going to apply it to them. And two, these are all things that we should know. There are all things that we should actively be applying in our lives. Why? Because there may be times where where dads can't be or aren't present or, or choose not to be present. And then it's the directive of all Christians to do these things for all of each other. And the third thing is this, these, these directives, these things that dads do that we're going to look at today are going to be something that we're all going to talk about because how amazing, how incredible would our homes be, would our church be, would our society be if all of us had these things on our mind. And whether we were a father or not, or we just knew a father, but we were constantly encouraging, supporting, and helping dads do these things. That's why we're going to talk about these. These all come from Joshua chapter 24 is where we're going to be today. So if you would, please open up your Bibles to Joshua Chapter 24, the very last chapter, we're going to begin reading at verse 1. It's here where Joshua is talking to all of Israel that's gathered there at a place called Shechem. And here he is going to talk about his going away speech. Joshua 24. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. 
Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and I led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill hill country of the seer to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help for them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you and took possession of the land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Baham and son of Beor to put a curse on, Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you, but I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings, so that you you did not do it with your own sword or bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities You did not build, and you live in them, and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now, fear the Lord and serve him all with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. This is God's word to this point. What Joshua does to start out his going away speech is that he goes back 700 years. He goes back and covers really rather quickly 700 years of history. And he says, look, you were not a people. I chose you to be a people. I picked you out of pagan worshiping people to be my own. I was with you. I gave you promises of an inheritance of many descendants. I gave you a land. When you went into Egypt, I rescued you. I drew you out from there. And when you came up to the land I promised you, I drove out everybody and I gave it to you. Joshua is saying, this is your God. Now serve this God, which is the first commandment. Serve the Lord your God and and serve him only. Don't worship other idols. Throw them away. You want to know the ironic thing about Joshua's encouragement though? Israel wasn't worshiping idols. In fact, if you know your Bible, you know that Israel had worshiped idols and that's why some people, older generations, were swallowed up in the ground and they, they couldn't go into the promised land. And you know that Israel in the future would get caught up with people whom they didn't drive out of their land and they'd get stuck worshiping other gods. But right now, they're not worshiping other gods. They're not bowing down to idols. And yet he says... Throw away the gods of your ancestors. What's he talking about? 
Well, Joshua is talking about idols of the heart. This is a, this is a quote that we've, we've mentioned in here before, but it comes from an author, Timothy Keller, who wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods. And in it, he says this, the human heart is an idol factory that takes good things. It takes good things like a successful career, love, marital possessions, even family, and turn them into the ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as safety and fulfillment if only we attain them. Dads are providers. That's what they do instinctually. Dads like to provide things for their families, for their community. And what Joshua is saying is that your heavenly father, Israel, is the ultimate provider. He has provided literally everything to you. He has given you so much good, so much grace. But be careful. Be careful that these good things don't become idols. Be careful that the fact that you are a chosen people doesn't make you proud and arrogant. Be careful that the fact that you have inherited a land that is wonderful, a land flowing with milk and honey, doesn't make you self-righteous as though by your own work you made these cities and planted these vineyards. He's saying, don't let those victories go to your head. Don't let the fact that you won all of those victories give that you safety and security. Look only to your God for those things. What Joshua is teaching us is this, this is what dads do. Dads don't ignore idols. Dads don't ignore idols that are actually physically things that are being bowed down to worship to. And they don't ignore idols of the heart. They take a look at, at things that could potentially be good things that could potentially become the ultimate thing and things that maybe are being the ultimate things. And they encourage their children to throw them out. If, if your job, if your career, if your hobbies and your vacation and your fun and your extracurriculars are taking you away from the Lord, throw them out. Dads don't ignore idols that are, that are material possessions like cars or phones or video games or money. But they ask, is it bringing you closer to God? Or is it taking you further away from him? If it is, throw it out. Dads don't ignore what, what maybe the abstract blessings can do. The, an obsession with maybe physical appearance, an obsession with reputation. If that's replacing what's filling up your heart, dads say, throw it out. Cause dads don't ignore idols. Dads don't become complacent about the first commandment, which says you shall have no other gods because dads constantly place before their children, before their families, their God of grace, their God of glory. And they do it by pointing to all the good that God has given them. That's the first one. Dads don't ignore idols. Here's the second one. Dads draw lines. Joshua explains that one. Here's what he says. Verse 14, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But 
If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It is perhaps one of the most famous lines in all of Scripture. It's been stirring the hearts of Christians for millennia. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What Joshua is doing is drawing a line in the sand. He's saying, fine, if you want to choose to serve other gods, okay. But as for me and my household, we will serve this God. We will serve the Lord our God. He draws a line in the sand. And really, can I talk to all parents for just a second? Isn't that what parents do? Parents draw lines in the sand. I mean, you go home during, kids go home during the summer and they're not just allowed to watch whatever they want on YouTube or TV. Kids aren't allowed to Snapchat and look up whatever they want online. Kids aren't allowed to take the car wherever they want to go. No, parents draw lines. They teach their kids discernment. And what is discernment? Well, it's, it's nothing other than the learned art of drawing lines guided by God's word between what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. And children don't learn the art of what godly discernment is by, by hanging out with their peers. They don't learn it by looking it up online. And fathers, listen, children don't learn godly discernment about the question of who I will serve simply by osmosis. It comes by dad's drawing a line and saying, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But for a moment, just note how Joshua does it. He doesn't do it in a powerful, dictatorial way saying, this is what happens in my house. He says, this is what you will do. No, he makes an appeal. Read, read this chapter. Read a chapter before in chapter 23 where constantly Joshua is putting before his people the goodness, the glory, the grace of our God. And what he says, this is what your God has done for you. He sent his son for you. He sent his son to die for you. He sent his son to rise for you. His son gave you the gift of baptism that put his seal on you and signed the adoptions papers and made orphans now his children. This is what your God gives you in your daily life. These are the gifts that God has given you. Now, you can choose to serve another God. But come on, look. Look at the good. Look at the grace. Look at the glory of God. Let us. Let us, let me and my household serve the Lord. Dads don't ignore idols and dads draw lines. And here's the third one. I'm in verse 16. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which he traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, 
you are not able to serve the Lord. He is holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are our witnesses, they replied. Now then, throw away all the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Perhaps one of the most shocking statements in all of the Old Testament. Joshua just spent an entire chapter in the most winsome, the most objective way, pointing out how great God is. And then when he gets what he wants, when he gets all of the people to look at them and say, yes, we are with you, we will serve the Lord. He says, no, you ain't. He says, you stop right there. You will not serve the Lord your God. (laughs) Why do you say it that way? Well, what Joshua was pointing out was this truth about our relationship to our Heavenly Father. It's not about what you do. It's about what he did and what he does. It's not about what you provide for God. It's about what he provides. What he did provide, what he is providing, what he will provide throughout your life And what he will provide through eternity. Just once more, Joshua emphasizes that. That our God is the one who provides for us. And fathers, you know that you are to be like Christ in the lives of your family. You are to provide. And yet if you look at all that your God has provided, that can be overwhelming. If you look at the fact that our our God provides and doesn't ignore idols and that's how you're supposed to be, that can that can be a weighty thing. You know, if you look at how our God provides and how we're to provide by drawing lines for our family, it can be an embarrassing thing for all the times I haven't. And so if you if you have any fatherly inclinations about you, It might be at this point you feel a little bit of shame. And that's what we do. In our sinful nature, we we like to stay in our shame. So can I be Joshua for a second? You cannot serve the Lord. But what you can do is this. You can provide the provider. That's what dads do. Dads provide the provider. Just like Jimmy's dad did. Jimmy is now no longer little Jimmy. He's 68 years old. But back when he was growing up in the 50s, Jimmy, well, Jimmy and his sister were arguing in the living room. And Jimmy got so sick of his little sister getting up in his grill, making fun of him, that he just punched her right in the stomach. And his little sister reacted with tears. She started to cry and scream and she seemed so loudly that Jimmy was worried that his little sister was gonna, gonna attract mom's attention. And so what did Jimmy do? Well, he reached on the table and he grabbed a spray can off and he was gonna try to shut her up and spray it at her and he sprayed it right in her mouth and it just happened to be a can of DDT, 
which if you don't know, is a poisonous chemical that used to be for killing bugs, but now is banned. Just as he was doing that, his mother walked into the room, saw Jimmy, saw his sister, didn't say a word to Jimmy, but scooped her up and rushed her to the hospital, telling Jimmy to go sit in his room and wait until dad comes home. So there Jimmy sat the edge of his bed, waiting for what he knew would be the second coming of Jesus Christ. He sat there terrified, he sat there mortified, and of course he sat there worried for what he did to his little sister. And they heard the door open. They heard the distinctive steps of his father coming up the stairs. And he feared getting what he knew he deserved As the door opened, he looked at his dad, and his dad looked at him, and he saw the fear, he saw the worry, so he opened up his arms and knelt down, and like a shot, Jimmy came off the bed and hugged his father. Jimmy told this story himself in a book called Being Dad. And what he says in that book is that to this day, even though he is a grandfather now, he has not forgotten the feeling of those arms wrapped around him. He has not forgotten what it was like receiving something he did not deserve. He says there's no more powerful reminder in my life of what Christ's arms and his nail-pierced hands wrapped around me means. And isn't that what it's all about? I mean, isn't that what we are celebrating on Father's Day? I mean, that's that's really what life is all about. It is about that love of our Heavenly Father, the most outrageous kind of love that Jim, now a grown man, says it was at that point he became convinced as a little boy that God is real, that an outrageous forgiveness is possible. And you think, Father's, If your kids only knew that, if that is all that they knew, that love, that love of the Heavenly Father, then for sure you and your household would be serving their Lord and your children's household would be serving their Lord and on and on and on. That's what dads do. Dads provide the provider. Dads, you are not asked to provide something you have not already received. You are not asked to provide something you do not have. You're asked to provide the love of Christ. The love of Christ most clearly seen in a father sending his son. That's what dads do. Dads don't ignore idols. Dads draw lines. And dads provide the provider. Can I close by telling you a a rather personal story about someone who has been a godly and fatherly influence in my life? His name's Ken, and he just happens to be my high school football coach. Um, The story I'm going to tell you happened on our very, very last practice, right before our very, very first game of the season. Now, I was in my position playing defense, and I was at practice, and the offense ran a play, and from my position, I was able to get to the ball carrier who ran out to the light, to the left fairly quickly and tackle him. And because I do not want to lie to you at church, I'm going to be honest with you. I just, I didn't just tackle him, I pancaked him. I mean, I just leveled him. It was the most impressive tackle I think I remember making. 
And then all of a sudden, coach blew the whistle. And he said, that's it. Practice is over. And he comes over with this real powerful walk to right where I was like getting up off the ground. And he called everyone in to huddle around where he was standing. And I'm like, man, I just did something I wasn't supposed to. So I started like trying to crawl my way towards the back of the huddle. And that is when he grabbed the back of my jersey and made me stand right there. And he said four words that I haven't forgotten. He said, this man is dangerous. He said, this man is dangerous and it's a darn good thing he's on our team. And with few little words, he dismissed practice and said, we'll see you on game day. Now I tell you that because it's in my memory, but also because of what happened two days later. We had our first game and we lost 13 to 3. And because I don't want to lie to you in church, I'm going to tell you, I played poorly. And not just really poorly, but I mean really, really poorly. I can remember mistake after mistake after mistake. Not just one thing that cost us the game, but several things where I didn't do what I was supposed to. And they certainly contributed to the defeat of our team. After kind of an awkward game, I had an awkward encounter with my coach as I was leaving the locker room and we passed each other in this narrow hallway and I didn't know what to say. So I said, coach, I don't know what happened out there. I'm, I'm sorry. And with a smile, he looked at me and he said, oh, I know what happened. You disappeared. You didn't show up. I'm like, geez, thanks. Um, and he said, yeah, you're a dangerous man. He said, you're a dangerous man because when you show up and play, good things can happen. But you're a dangerous man because when you disappear, bad things can happen. And feeling even worse, he looked at me and he said, so how about you show up tomorrow and we'll get back to work. And then he hugged me. (laughs) You know, if I can just make one thing clear to dads. I want you to know you are dangerous men. Ladies and gentlemen, these are dangerous men. And I'm glad I'm on their team. I'm glad I'm on your team. Wives, children, if you celebrate Father's Day in any way in particular today, do me this favor and tell your dad he's dangerous and tell him why. Dads, know that you are dangerous. And if you're, if you feel like maybe you haven't showed up, well, we've all had bad games before. Just know that you have a heavenly dad whose arms are wrapped around you, who's telling you, don't worry about it. Let's show up. Let's play. Let's get to work today. Dads, be dangerous. Be dangerous dads. Be dads who don't ignore idols, who draw lines, and who provide the provider. Amen.